0: In every episode, our guests are going to share their mantra with you, and within the episode, you'll find out what this mantra means to our guests. I can't wait to introduce you to Christmas Hutchinson. Christmas's mantra is, don't speak about it, be about it. Don't speak about it, be about it. Let's go meet Christmas. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Right now, I'm reading Subtle Acts of Exclusion by Tiffany Jana. I recommend it for anyone who wants to access greater empathy and allyship. And if you want to read the book for free with a 30-day trial membership to Audible, just go to www.audibletrial.com. Slash handle everything and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to wwwaudibletrialcom slash handle everything. Welcome to the Handle Everything Podcast, where people who have a lot on their plate come to learn how to open doors to opportunities by handling it all in a healthy way. I'm your host, Tara Bradford a former ICU nurse turned executive coach. Christmas Hutchinson is a career confidence and growth mindset coach, author, and speaker. She brings her 16 years of experience as an accountant and as a trusted advisor to the top five global financial institutions, along with a master's of business administration from the Johns Hopkins University to her coaching practice. She is also a former executive at Verizon Media, a Fortune 500 company. Welcome to the Handle Everything podcast, Christmas.
1: Thank you for having me. This is exciting.
0: So I start off every episode with asking, how full is your plate? Can you give us a quick peek into your day-to-day life and all the responsibilities you're juggling at any given moment?
1: So right now, my life consists of me running two businesses. So I have my coaching practice, and I have a wellness business with my partner which at the time, because we were doing fitness classes, we're basically revamping our whole entire business model to run online. So that's been a lot of work. And I have a team of consultants working on different moving parts of the business, including web development, identifying trainers, people to help us with some content production and editing and promotion of our brand. And then also I am creating content and a new coaching program for my coaching practice. And I'm also starting the research part of writing my next book and really just trying to stay up to date on all things that are, you know, resilient and how I can be helpful to others. And then on top of that, I'm taking care of my health in terms of cooking all the time, three meals a day, washing dishes all day and, you know, keeping my spiritual practice together. So my plate is not empty by any stretch of the imagination.
0: Right. And it has shifted in the last couple of months due to COVID-19. Yeah. And that was what you were referring to about your business, having to go online and just switching your entire business model. Right. Wow, so how do you handle it all? Well,
1: the simplest answer to that question is I handle it by blocking my schedule and prioritizing the activities that need to happen. And when I think about like when I first got into this whole workforce, there's always like, oh, you know, write down your to-do list and just stick to it. But nowadays, the way life is moving, I just on a day-to-day basis the night before prioritize what needs to happen that next day and i block out the time to do it i try to like turn off cell phones and distractions to be able to get it done and that's kind of how i've been doing it and then also just coming to grips with knowing what it is i can't do before i used to try to do everything and now because i do have some money I have found ways to pay somebody to do something else. Like for instance, with the new book that I'm writing, I'm using a virtual assistant to help me with research. And as it relates to like some of the web development and some of the content creation for my other business, like I said, we hired some consultants and they are taking care of that. So it just helps me with being able to think about my business and work on my business instead of working in it
0: that's amazing and even with the best laid plans we both know that sometimes things get added on our plate that we weren't expecting the night before when we planned it all out so does that ever overwhelm or stress you out or is there anything else that overwhelms you or stresses you out
1: well i think i've started to manage overwhelm and stress And to me, being overwhelmed and stressed means that I'm like out of time or I've made some commitment that I'm not gonna meet. And when I do feel that, which is not all the time anymore, because now I'm feeling like, okay, what's the worst that can happen? Like when I do get to those parts of my life where it's like, oh my God, all these people want this, this, and this. At that point, I usually step into myself and say, okay, what is it that I can do now? And how can I calm myself down? Because what happens when I do get overwhelmed, I will go into analysis paralysis and not do anything. And what I try to do to prevent that overwhelm and prevent like the stress is I have a morning routine where I do some reflection. I do a gratitude list every day because it just really helps with setting my mindset up for having a more productive day. For some reason I get a lot of, energy from that and then also just setting intentions for the day. I started doing that the past couple years. I found that when you actually set an intention like today I am going to take life how it comes or today I'm gonna finish this or today you know whatever the intention is I always seem to make it through that intention so those are a few things that I do to try to get past the overwhelming stress but I definitely do feel it.
0: That's really helpful and you mentioned analysis paralysis so sometimes we're not always aware of our thoughts or aware of when we're analyzing things what is your clue that you're getting sucked into that analysis mode i think
1: my clue is when i've been sitting down staring at a piece of paper or i am in this point where I'm trying to make a decision, but I haven't, and nothing is moving. And then I start to realize, oh my God, you're overthinking this. Just do something. And usually the overthinking is kind of part of imposter syndrome where you're like, well, if I do it this way, people are going to think this, if I do it that way and (laughs) blah, blah, blah. So when I find that I'm not taking any action, then I know that I'm at that point and that I need to figure something out.
0: Got it, so tell us about a time when you were under a lot of pressure and you were able to turn it around into an opportunity.
1: Well, there's so many times, but <laughs> one, that stands, one that stands out to me was when I started working at Verizon Media and my job was to basically come in and help them stand up a project management office for their HR department and just a little bit of history about that company, basically Yahoo and AOL and all their brand subsidiaries were acquired by Verizon, and they were acquired separately and had to be put together. And there were a lot of systems and programs and all these things that needed to be merged into one. And previous leadership wanted it done fast. And also they were going into a system that was new. And so a lot of people didn't have experience doing a lot of technical things. And so it was very challenging and stressful. And so I was tasked with being able to go in as a new leader and motivate these people to get the job done while me being under pressure (laughs) from my bosses (laughs) to get this stuff done. what I remember about that and how I turned it into an opportunity was I turned it into an opportunity to actually get to know the people who were working on the various project teams. There were like 20 projects. I was just working with hundreds of people, but just getting to know them and letting them vent to me and letting them know that I was on their side. And then also like it was an opportunity for me to protect them from the powers that be the higher level leadership who were breathing down their necks. I saw it as an opportunity to nurture the team. And as a result, they were able to move the projects forward. And when I started, a lot of those projects were in red status, and I was able to get them to green, which was good because it brought the morale up. And so there were just, you know, those few little tactics that I used. To get them to trust me and get the morale up so that we can get the projects done on time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And this position for anyone who can relate to this experience in their own work, was it a salary or consultant? How did you manage your time around it?
1: so it was a salaried position and i didn't work like long long days like when i was in consulting i worked long days and that's just a different experience because you work long days because a lot of those days you're like sitting in meetings and then you have other work that you have to be doing in terms of like selling and thought leadership so those were the reason why we worked long days but i would say they were average you know, maybe nine hour days. And for that, I had to really, really draw boundaries with people and block my calendar for times that I wanted to work out, times that I needed downtime, because that was definitely an environment where people will just jump all over your schedule and it was just so many meetings that people needed just to talk to you for five minutes but they would block like 30 minutes out of your day and then i got to a point where i just told people don't invite me to the meeting unless you have an agenda because it just got to a point where the culture was all meeting focused. And what I found out about meetings is that you're not getting any work done. You can't concentrate on responding to emails. You can't concentrate on solving problems when you're pulled a million different directions when it comes to meetings.
0: Right. So you mentioned working out. Has that been a good stress reliever for you in your personal life as you're balancing all the things, work and life and everything that you have on your plate?
1: Yes, which is why I have a wellness business with my partner. I started to believe in it more heavily after I beat cancer. And the reason why is because when I was going through cancer treatment, there were times like a few days after chemotherapy that I would feel really, really tired. And my doctor encouraged me. She was like, look, if you just try to just walk around the block, try to do yoga. And just doing that showed me how continuing to lean on my body and to have faith that my body will continue to serve me was the reason why I was like, okay, as long as I keep using it and nurturing it, I will think clearer, I'll feel good, I'll have better energy. And so definitely working out is a huge part of my life. It's a stress reliever, it gives me dopamine. I compete with myself, you know, as it relates to like, because I do CrossFit and I compete with myself in terms of how much weight I lifted the week before. It brings in discipline. It shows me how once I push harder, how my body changes. One of my trainers is always like, Christmas, without change, you don't get changed. With change, you get changed. So whenever I want to like give up on a crunch, he's like, okay, get back up. Keep going. Keep going. So yes. Working out is a big thing for me as a stress reliever.
0: And you had to learn how to keep going throughout your cancer treatment and healing from cancer. And that's something that you talk about in your book, The Resilient Mind. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about your book, because I know you were going through a lot more than cancer treatment at that time. And you cover all of the things you were handling at the same time in this book and how you handled it.
1: So my book, The Resilient Mind, A Field Guide to a Healthier Way of Life, was born because I had to share with people what I learned through my transformation of finding out I had cancer a week after I got divorced and a couple months after I had been passed over for promotion. And for me, that was my rock bottom of my life because I was hit in my health my career, and my relationship. And that's basically life.
0: <laughs> right. And, and, <laughs> and real quick, how old were you at this time? Because you were pretty young.
1: Yeah, I was 36 at the time. And for me, that was hard because I was one of those people who like was I gotta get this education. I gotta work at the world's largest consulting firm. Like I have Fortune 500 companies on my resume, had a big house. I had all those check the American dream boxes. And here I was with no health and with no marriage, not in my house, not really sure what direction I wanted to go in my career. And I was bitter, what the heck? Like I did all the things, I'm a good person, why me? And so once I was able to get out of that why me thing, I think the thing that really pulled me out of it is that I didn't wanna die. And when you get a cancer diagnosis, you don't know what it means because frankly, we don't talk about terminal illnesses that much, you know, in regular conversation. So I didn't wanna die. So I decided that I wanted to focus on my health. And so that became the impetus of my whole resiliency in terms of like me doing research, like, well, how do people beat this thing? And so I started reading about people you know, journaling and people having gratitude and people taking the thoughts off of them and how terrible life is for them or how life dealt them the worst cards. And I started to put it on other people. Like at the time I was the president of my sorority chapter and i just started saying you know i'm just gonna do good for them so that that'll keep me living (laughs) and so during that time that, that was where i started with it and then i started to see other parts of my life in terms of like finances in terms of like the time i spent on things that didn't matter in terms of like how i wasn't putting myself first and i just started seeing these themes of how life can run you around and it doesn't have to be that way. Like I just started challenging all of the things I learned and all of the activities I had been a part of and all the behaviors and habits that I have picked up in my life and challenged it all. And once I challenged it, I saw a new way to live, a better way to live and a life with more peace of mind and so that's why I was like I need to write this book because had I known this when I was 24 years old I would be looking at life a lot differently
0: so after writing the book and going through the journey and healing from cancer and replenishing all of these parts of your life how would you define resilience So
1: I define resilience as going through the peaks and the valleys of life and not getting stuck or overly placing negative energy or thoughts or whatever on the things that don't go well. I think that it's the ability to find the opportunities and the silver lining in every situation that we encounter. I had a choice when I got divorced. I had a choice when I found out I had cancer. I either can see this as a lesson and a growth opportunity, or I can see it as being dealt the worst cards. And at that time of my life, when all this was happening, I remember saying to myself, this is rock bottom and the only way now is to go up. And that's a resilient mindset. And I said, you know, this is not a good year for me, but I know as long as I continue down this road, no matter how hard it is, no matter what is thrown at me, I believe on the other side, there is going to be something greater. And there absolutely is something greater. I was able to write this book. I moved to New York City, like my life just Changed because I decided to take the road of I'm going to find the silver lining and I'm going to find the lesson and I'm going to go through this journey and had that mindset. I just got a way bigger reward than the trouble I was put through for 10 months.
0: Right. And you're doing awesome things now. And you mentioned that you hit rock bottom. And I think a lot of our listeners would agree that sounds like things were really bad at the time and hitting you from all different angles in your life and all different areas of your life. So do you think that we have to hit rock bottom in order to become more resilient? And also, what can people do in their own lives to define rock bottom? Because sometimes we get into comparison mode and we're like, oh, well, I'm not at rock bottom yet because it's not that bad.
1: Right. And that's funny because I remember saying there was something that happened to me a couple years ago that I thought was rock bottom. And my friends were like, that's not rock bottom. And I'm like, well, for the expectations I have for me, that's rock bottom. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't what we're talking about now with some other silly situation. I don't think people need to hit rock bottom, but they need to have failures in life to be resilient. And that's what I worry about with some of the generation we have now where their family and their adults in their life are always there to like mitigate all the bad things. And that just makes it hard for them to figure out how to search within themselves to find strength. So I do think that you need to experience failure or something not going your way to learn the skill of being strong and learn the skill of dusting yourself off and trying again. I think that if you don't, you'll be well-practiced in not letting go of situations and staying attached to things, people, and experiences. And that's really what resilience is, is like not having that attachment to what you thought should go right or who you thought should stay in your life or what job or what identity. And I think when it comes to comparison, just run your own race because what's my rock bottom is not necessarily someone else's rock bottom it's whatever brings you to that place to say "Uh uh-uh this is not it this is not life i'm going to change something internally in me to make my life look different so it's a very personal experience from person to person
0: i agree with you completely and i know at the beginning of this interview we were talking about venting with your experience at work where you turned it into an opportunity and i think it's just natural to vent when things aren't going the way that we expected them to go Mm -hmm. and so sometimes venting as we just talked about can open us up to criticism from other people on top of the criticism that we might already be putting on ourselves Mm -hmm. about how it's not that bad or it's not really rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And so what advice would you give to people about venting and choosing the right people to vent to or do you just keep it to yourself? What do you do now to not open yourself up to that kind of comparison or criticism?
1: yeah so i definitely am a proponent of venting and i talk about it in various things that i've written but there's a difference between venting and complaining venting is when you really have some pent-up energy that you just really need to get off of your chest and out of your body and you need to process it you need to understand it complaining is telling that same story over and over and over and over 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 again. (laughs) And that's when you become a toxic person. That's how I was when I got separated from my ex-husband. Oh my God, I was that person who was just complaining about everything. But what I learned is, is that I have that friend or a couple of friends that I've identified that I can vent to, and you know who they are, and it's like a judgment-free zone. They're not there to give you all the advice, or you should have did this and you should have did that. And I just keep it there because the one thing that I like to get away from is number one, not being judged. Number two, venting to somebody who is liberal and going and telling your business, because that's not productive. Like we all need to get it out, but we don't need for people to go and say, oh, well, Christmas is dealing with this. And she called, like, I don't need that. I just need for you to listen to me and help me process what happened. You know what I mean? Right. So I think basically venting is fine. That's one to finding that person or a couple of people that you can trust that really understand who you are at your core and can give you that sanity of, yeah, no, I understand. Like, I see your point. And because you're this kind of person, I can see that that's why it would bother you. And, you know, just lastly, not complaining, just knowing the difference between venting and complaining.
0: What about people who don't have someone, if they're thinking right now, I don't really have anybody who I can vent to, who's not going to try to fix things, who's going to start telling me about all their problems and not really listen to me, or I feel worse after I talk to them and I don't know why. So for those people who can't really think of anyone that they can trust to just vent to, what would you recommend for them?
1: Um, this is gonna sound kinda weird, but I find Facebook communities <laughs> that I'm in helpful for venting. You can make the names and people of the situation anonymous and or you could
0: say asking for a friend.
1: Well yeah, <laughs> or asking for a friend, but I find those kinds of groups helpful and therapeutic because someone will pop in. I just read something like that where someone did go in and vent about a situation. They were experiencing with another influencer and then like all these people started saying oh my god i hate that I, I know exactly what you're talking about go on girl you know and she kept it anonymous as to who she was speaking about i know it was therapeutic for her to do that so you could do that and then another thing that i've done is i've just written a letter or just wrote it down journaling and reflecting is another way that i process and get things out so just writing it down like if someone has made you angry but you know you don't need to have that conversation you just be like dear such and such I don't like the way you did this or you did that or even like when my sister passed away last summer I was just broken because I wasn't able to properly appreciate her in her last days and i wasn't able to properly communicate with her or just have that conversation and i wrote a letter and it helped me i wrote a letter to her and just thanked her for being my sister and just reminisced about all the things so that's another way to be able to process it if you don't have you know people in your life that you can do that with
0: that's a really good piece of advice and For something like grief that can go on for months after the initial situation happens, like loss due to death or loss of a job or loss of health due to an illness or something like that, do you think that there's a place for having a regular appointment with a coach or a therapist to vent to and just have that protected space to have a conversation? Or do you think that we can handle it all on our own? by using some of these tools that empower us to kind of take charge of it. How do you balance asking for help versus empowering yourself to just do it?
1: I think with coaches and therapists, I think those are situations where you kind of have a direction in your mind of where you want to go. You just need that help and clarity in the behaviors and the habits that you need to implement to get there, so I feel like venting to a coach probably isn't the best use of your money (laughs) or time, (laughs) but I think that if you're trying to work through something or if you're trying to transform yourself from being a person who is afraid to take risks to a more courageous person, I definitely would suggest a coach As it relates to therapists, therapists can be helpful in helping you process things, but I don't know, in my personal experience, I don't always feel like I feel like I can move forward. It's just like, I just let it out and that's it. (laughs) The therapist. So I feel like that can be the challenge, but I'm all for getting coaches and definitely for the reason of trying to get me from, it's a transformative point from point A to point B.
0: That's a helpful timeline transformation to share about the difference between therapy and coaching for Mm -hmm. our listeners. And while we're on the topic of grief, I know right now with COVID-19 we are all experiencing some sort of loss. Maybe it's loss of control. We feel like the rug's been pulled out from under us. We feel stuck. And so that could trigger kind of a grief cycle because we feel like there's a loss. It might not be as obvious about what we've lost. Maybe it's a feeling of independence and freedom. And so we have the opportunity right now to become more resilient, And in your experience, when you are grieving a loss and working on resilience, do you find that you can do that at the same time or do you need to kind of go through grief and get to the other side before you're ready to start learning or taking action?
1: I think resilience plays a good part of grief. I don't think that there needs to be one happening and then one stops and then the other happens. And the thing about grief you know it is a process and sometimes you pass one part of the process and then you go back to it so I think that with grief and resilience I guess the most important process in the grief process is making it to the point of acceptance and that's accepting that life is not gonna be the same with that person or with whatever it is that you were doing and life is gonna be new and you've accepted that that is it and so you're going to start working towards the new normal and i think that with being resilient it's employing those mindsets to help you move through the grief process so when you are in denial it's questioning yourself like why am i in denial why do i not believe this is happening or what about this situation am i not willing to accept And even like when you get to the sadness or the depression point of it, it's recognizing that I need to stay present and I'm depressed because I'm longing for this person or I'm longing for this old situation. And the resilience in that or the resilient action to take is, well, let me be grateful in this moment. Let me be present in this moment. And when you do that, that's how you're able to move through the process to get to acceptance and get to living the new normal life.
0: That's really helpful and if anybody wants more information on the stages of grief you can google Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grief to get more information about that and if you're interested in getting a copy of The Resilient Mind and you're not sure if the book is right for you Christmas, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. How do you hope people feel about developing a resilient mind at the end of the book when they put the book down and they finish reading it?
1: When they finish reading it, I just hope that they see that resilience is not just this woo woo thing, it's a way of life. It is a way of life to live a life with peace of mind. I think. At the end of the day, that's what I wanted. I wanted the anxiety to stop. I wanted the anxiety of looking a certain way to people to stop. I wanted the anxiety of whether or not I was going to get promoted or move to this next level or live in this house or do this. I wanted all of that to stop. I just wanted it to be. And I hope when people put the book down and they're finished reading it, and by the way, it is a short book. It was designed for people to read in like, a 45-minute, one-hour sitting, even less than that maybe, is to feel like, wow, there are other ways of living a fruitful life and a successful life without having to fall in line with the norms that our culture puts on us that have created all this depression, anxiety, and angst about existing.
0: Well, if you want a copy of The Resilient Mind, I'll be putting the link to purchase it in the show notes of this episode. And Christmas, as we wind down the interview, I always like to end with a few fun questions. Just answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to feel successful to you?
1: I feel successful by the fact that I can just be my authentic self and be me and do the things that I want eat the things and drink the things that I want, watch what I want. I just want to be left alone and just be me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What is something you've accomplished that you are most proud of? I would say
1: finally getting, it's kind of twofold, finally having the courage to walk away from my marriage. That was really a challenge for me and it was hard, but I just dug in deep and did it. It took me six years to get there, so I'm proud of myself for that. And also beating cancer like a rock star. Like I did it on my own. I drove myself to chemotherapies. My whole family was on the West Coast. I live on the East Coast, but my whole family was on the West Coast. So those are what I'm most proud of for now.
0: What are you most looking forward to this year?
1: I'm looking forward to the new life that COVID-19 is going to bring us. I think that the world was moving too fast. Things were becoming too expensive. People were not appreciating life or one another. I mean, just even the last few months, I've been connecting with people differently. Even with my partner, we've found different ways to connect with one another and get to know one another. And I'm just looking forward to a new, slower, deeper life.
0: What advice would you give to your younger self?
1: I would just say, just be you. Don't worry about what other people think about you. And it's okay to fail. We're taught that failure is bad, but it's okay to make mistakes. That's how you learn. What's your mantra? My mantra is don't speak about it, be about it. Like I said, I was going to write a book and I wrote it. Like all the talking, be about it. Don't speak about it, be about it.
0: And what's the best way our listeners can get in touch with you?
1: I'm most active on Instagram. You can follow me at Christmas Hutchinson or you can head to my website at www.ChristmasHutchinson.com. And I put out a Transformation Tuesday newsletter where I share three thoughts and ideas on how to transform your life.
0: Well, thank you so much, Christmas, for being on the Handle Everything podcast. It's been so great talking to you. Thank you so much for having me, Tara. What did you think? I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you want to let me know what you thought about this, just send me a message on Instagram at Tara Ray Bradford. My intention with the show is to share how other people are handling everything and give you actionable steps to make positive changes in your life because of these episodes. I'd love to know what you thought and if you wanna check out the links and everything from the show, go on over to handleeverything.com. Be sure you hit subscribe if you haven't already on your favorite podcast platform and make sure you check out Christmas Hutchinson. Her book, The Resilient Mind is getting rave reviews for all of the valuable takeaways she has put into the quick, easy read that you'll wanna reference over and over again. Thank you again to Christmas Hutchinson for being on the show, and thank you to everyone listening in. You're amazing, and I'm so proud of you for being able to manage all the things on your plate. From me and the podcast team, make today the best day. And by the way, if you haven't listened to episode four yet, it's my most downloaded episode about how to parent a child with disabilities with Harriet Cabelli, a therapist and positive psychology coach. Hey, in case I haven't said thank you enough yet, thanks for listening to the Handle Everything podcast at handleeverything.com.